I look back on my career, right? And I kind of made a few big mistakes. I didn't realize at that time, but then I did. But that, it gave me a chance to move forward. Like, for example, I think I went, went into my, like the vice president of this company's office to like resign based on, I was just a kid and I was just like upset about certain stupid little things, right? So when I walked in there, instead of like leaving the job, I made a connection. Welcome to CMC Live. This is the show where we discuss CMC regulations and guidances simplified through real-life experiences and risk-based advice. Each episode, we speak with subject matter experts as well as other leading industry authorities. With your host, Ed Narkey. Welcome to a new episode of CMC Live. My name is Miranda Paris-Condola, and I am co-host of CMC Live, along with Brian Leo and host Ed Narkey. Today is going to be a little bit different than the other podcasts that you've heard as of late. Typically, our podcasts are myself, Miranda, Brian, and Ed, talking with subject matter experts about their experiences and what they bring to the table at DSI, which gives you a little bit more insight of the industry and our knowledge of the industry. Today, I wanted to flip the tables and put Ed Narkey in the hot seat. Ed Narkey is co-founder, principal, managing, regulatory director, you name it, at DSI. He and I have been working closely together for three and a half years. I am head of business development and marketing. And Ed and I have been talking about doing podcasts for a couple years. And now that the dream is a reality, I have Ed Narkey here to share his experiences and how DSI was shaped. Ed, welcome. So I was once upon a time, like an industry newbie, like most everyone was working in a process development lab. I still remember my first day and the fellow who was like my first mentor, how he approached me and my first lesson of like life was, he would show me how to use some instrumentation, right? But this is back in the day when like I worked in a lab at a process chemistry lab, but I was, I still like to wear like a shirt and tie and I had like a lab coat and stuff like that over the years as a side story but like you know it was like it was jeans on friday you were allowed to do that and then blah 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 so that was like a long time ago now you know fast forward i discovered and found that this interesting group called dsi here you know by sticking to my values and doing the right things you know all the mentors over the years from manufacturing to big pharma to small biotechs that kind of ingrained in me and now it's my turn to to pay them back it's my turn to like translate and pass a lot of this on to new people including our consultants here yourself, anybody, you know, that I could share with, including the bad stuff. So if anyone doesn't like it, they do the opposite and they're successful. I've done my job. I look back on my career, right? And I kind of made a few big mistakes. I didn't realize at that time, but then I did. But that, it gave me a chance to move forward. Like, for example, I think I went, went into my, like the vice president of this company's office to like resign based on, I was just a kid and I was just like upset about certain stupid little things, right? So... When I walked in there, instead of like leaving the job, I made a connection with him as another lifelong mentor. Like we had a discussion and turned out it was like inspiration that I needed to get me to the next spot, right? So building like relationships based on trust, you know, living that thing, it translated into maybe some of the ease of, you know, we're working with people on to try to find partnerships out there. You know, that relationship, that trust, but what's it called? It's called just being honest and, you know, like maybe that helps a lot sometimes when you're talking to people to have them allow them to be able to work with you if you come across this too salesy or sterile 
you know, there's no, they don't have a relation. There's no relation point, right? Because everyone grew up in the same way. They had the first day at the job with their tie on, at least back in the day. And they had the first boss who they didn't know who he was or she was. And, you know, that, that person influenced them and gave them, you know, a start and basically kind of brought them up to the, you know, where they're at to a point where they were not able to grow and learn anymore. So they left, right? Like I left not, not ever for money, but it was for more responsibilities and more opportunities and those things like that, right? I have like 25 years exactly. Now it's 24 years of industry experience, extensive experience, right? All phases of development. I started off in post-approval and regulatory, globally, working with distributor markets, really not the flashiest place you want to be in big pharma. That's where they put like new people. Suddenly, you know, I got an opportunity to work in development side in the US. And then, you know, I got a great start to go to the FDA meetings face to face with a large member of a big pharma team for a number of projects that I was involved with. And while I sat there as a young guy, young person, it never was case. I mean, I, it, I look back, always the person that was discussing things and had all the energy. And I looked over and I saw some of my colleagues <laughs> and they may remind me of myself now where there's other people. Not really. I mean, there was definitely some bright people and you know guides, but it was the fact that they gave me some opportunity to to shine that gave me the confidence to talk in front of people to people talk up to people and then also not talk down to them like that but to get on different levels that folks don't understand talk technical people about regulatory things my main experience before that was manufacturing you know i met guys like dan torok and dave adams and a few other folks that work with us now but you know i learned a lot from them and then i went in different trajectory and they stayed in the same trajectory and you know we kind of mesh well together now so Preparing INDs, NDAs, BLAs, I always had this fascination with uh, putting stuff together into a story. And there was all this data stuff. You know, working at Big Pharma, you have access to all these great development reports that you can cut and paste out or, you know, utilize it where you're not writing everything from scratch. But then you get a chance to write the interim, the stuff to tie it together, like the glue. So I worked on this product called Embrel. It was a fusion protein through it was made through expression recombinant dna it was ironic because i guess before i joined big pharma i worked in manufacturing i moved from lots of small molecules to lots of biologics for a bit and i learned the process side of it kind of in the qa area and then going into the regulatory just to see everything laid out in data you know cell bank information those type of historical things to through the process upstream process and down i was like really able to visualize things having seen all of this in manufacturing, you know, actually when you're, what do they say? Like you can't, you know, no one can teach you something. You have to learn it. Right. And sometimes you learn it by doing it and experiencing it. And a lot of times you learn it by making mistakes doing it. And then suddenly, you know, you, you don't know that you're, you're an expert. Some people don't think they're, they're an experts, but we are here, you know, we definitely have some opinions on things. And I personally probably have more opinions about regulatory submissions based on, you know, doing it for 10, 12 years. While I don't, do it necessarily and sit in a chair and write this stuff anymore. You know, I still, anytime I hear something about a submission, you would be surprised. It pops in my brain pictures of PDF files with these files that I wrote or reviewed or whatever. So it's almost like, you know, second nature. And then I was like, I was actually involved with as like a co-instructor for a lot of these courses on CTD module three. Now that I look back, it seemed like so long ago, it was at least 10 years ago, but for like seven years, I would be part of RAPS and AAPS at their conferences and workshops with like a hundred people. And it would be myself and three or four other people and showing 
examples and really getting, you know, very passionate about certain things and having active discussions. A lot of times with folks that weren't totally in agreement, these workshops were a lot of big pharma. So they had different ways of dealing with things. They didn't have to put everything in there. And I wouldn't recommend that anyway, but because they had all this information that they can tie together, they can summarize things and they had information in their pocket that if there were questions and they knew exactly where the questions would, would come, they would be prepared to give a robust answer without spilling the beans. Like when you have no information and you put so much into a filing and it's not cohesive, then you just beg for questions, right? But if you don't put any information in there, you're going to get questions. So it's that little art that I used to love. And then, you know, I would have a agree to disagree type of discussions with them when I started doing the submission filings and writings for small biotechs that didn't have the data and at some point, I thought I became like an advocate for small biotech and emerging biotech. When I was volunteering for these, these workshops and et cetera, it was all big pharma folks alongside of me and FDA. You know, not a lot of folks were from small biotechs. Most of them didn't have time because they were so busy with their biotechs. Luckily, I was at a few jobs that had failures, products that failed, and I had some downtime here and there. Or I just, you know, put a lot of effort into it on my own personal time. So that was a very career shaping for me. I was also the regulatory sciences section content advisory committee chair for apps magazine. Back in the day, I remember my editor, Linda Brown, who was so gracious and special and helpful. And I chaired this AAPS regulatory sciences section, which used to be just the best section of AAPS. It was comparable to the biotech section or PKPD or other sections, other drug development areas. But I just remember some of the folks that I worked with, I didn't just get the position. I had to start as like the scribe and then I became like a treasurer and then the vice president and then the chair and waiting or whatever. So it was over five years. And I remember I did so much work up front and, you know, as like the low person on the totem pole and maybe I just got better at it or it was just that, you know, that was the, the role of the person low on the totem pole. But when I got to the, the uh, regulatory chair position, a lot of great people. I think I think I helped recruit a lot of them, but so did others. You know, we really had a pretty decent team, and a lot of the stuff that we discussed there went on to go into building programming for AAPS over the years. Now, unfortunately, I think I what's the man? There's a movie called like The Man That Was Alive When the World Ended, or something like that. My last year there was when they had a reboot of AAPS because the attendance was down. There was a lot of problems with the organization and how people traveled to these things and what they. So unfortunately, everything sort of fell apart. They took this section and they turned it into one of these communities, they called them. And they're still active on AAPS website, but you know, that's, that was kind of like the first foray into digital and those things like that. Unfortunately, it takes time. I mean, I think maybe in 15 years, that'll be the norm. But you know, there's this transition that is occurring now where it doesn't necessarily reflect on the whole membership. So you know, back to DSI... I don't know what my title is anymore here. Managing director of, I like somebody I know, his, his title is self-proclaimed optimist. So I'm going to stick with that right now. I think I accelerated DSI's push beyond like the traditional strategy consulting to like a highly tactical actional advice consulting. We know we, we mentioned, I mentioned a little bit about the consultants that we used to hire were very disappointed, very expensive, and they just didn't, didn't leave you with something knowledge or anything you know it was always it's depends there was no real answer so i think that kind of shaped the way i operate and talking with tony and starting off the business with him it was very 
easy because, you know, we both had the same mindset and valued the same things. So it's always been the focus, but the new, again, reemphasize focus 2021 here is helping the expanding emerging biotech community, you know, where, where DSI obviously gets much of its revenue and also medium-sized pharma clients become regulatory compliant. So over 14 years here since founding DSI, it seemed like it was like yesterday. I do remember the day I was introduced full-time to the role. Unfortunately, I left my last job in a hurry and then it was like really here. So like I have a story, I came home and told my wife that and she was like, what? My mother-in-law was here as well. And she's like, what? do you have a job? And I was like, yes. <laughs> we build an unprecedented record of achievement, I think, in my opinion, at assisting a clients all over the globe to address like drug development, product development, compliance and regulatory program and project management. It's all blending together. We'll have this episode for you someday soon, probably. Am- I'm sorry, Amanda, Miranda. I'm sorry, Joanna. I, I mean, Miranda. That's fine. No, yeah, but so but it's sorry. it's funny because like you, I, I maybe we should keep this recording because like well probably twelve years now you'll be like I remember those early days You're like I even woke up today Miranda and I said what does the world smell like to you right now because I remember when I was like in my early thirties you know warmer days in January there was a certain smell in the air it's like spring was about to come you know it's not going to get here for a while but you could smell it right so after fourteen years the smell is dead gone it doesn't smell the same maybe because i have teenagers now in the house but and maybe the house is 14 years older and we have a lot of pets but i think you're not going to understand like right now for yourself until 14 years from now and you're going to look back and you're like best times of my life right and i hope that my future is the same i mean i hope i look back in 14 years say these are the best days sometimes i could look back and say these are the darkest days right with but that's that's part of life right so 14 years in the past you know, worked with over 200 biotech companies at least plus, right? U.S., international. I think we kind of worked on at least and contributed to like 60, probably more than that because it's 200 clients, but 60 original INDs, you know, ones that are not Me Too type of products, original programs, products that potentially could become unique and different game changers. And a lot of them have. And I think I counted a couple of months ago, 25 NDAs or BLAs full and support it. And that might be an underscore under a shoot here. I know we got involved with a lot that kind of didn't go anywhere and was never started, but it's pretty impressive. I would say it's like two a year, two plus three a year. And I know I remember when I was starting, I think I was really actively involved with the consulting part. So I probably could say I worked on half of them and wrote a lot of the sections. And then I think we actually got better when we got some further staff in here that could do that. So, you know, I think the cornerstone of, of the success, again, to, to move forward is, is found in our team of consultants and project management staff. I, one of the things I see all the time is taking action, the good ones here, and that you know we maintain our, take the subject matter expertness of themselves, decades of practical experiences, and are able to project manage things as well. So it's kind of unique. And then, you know, the experience that we have here allows everyone to borrow that and have that, you know, without too much effort. And that's real world perspectives on how to navigate things and how to decide on things and how to deal with things. So. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get people don't like me for this, maybe. And sometimes they, maybe I don't practice it. Sometimes I should be better at it. But I believe open communications and transparency are the foundation for successful outcomes for your product. And that, when I'm talking about that, not about my personal views on politics or anything, it's really with the agency, right? You don't want to hide certain things. And in fact, you know, it's really something you want to be honest with them up front and try to figure out what is, what they're looking for, you know, what they're most interested in 
and then addressing that. That's been my success back in the day. And maybe, you know, still, you know, talking to someone like they're human, like they're a partner. It's not a, you know, you give me some question and I'll give you some answer that I want to give you. It's, I want to answer your question and I want to make sure you're comfortable with the answer. I think most of, if not all of us here, I think all of us hold ourselves to the highest standards of professionalism and scientific practice and ethics and et cetera. So very impressed with that. I learned a lot from everyone, but hopefully I, you know, I inspired some folks to, to do the same over the years. I did learn a lot from a lot of people too, though. So, you know, we know regulatory and operations management and oversight you know, we're trying to be big levers of change here in the future. We're embracing technology and those things like that. At some point, we talked about perhaps having archiving all the brains of everybody here at DSI and having, creating some sort of like good looking holograms where, you know, these folks could maybe live in perpetuity and maybe have collect like the TV shows, maybe collect some sort of like whatever that called that's called that the residual. Every time someone sees their hologram, they get 10 cents or something like that. So, but we do live in a, you know, a very small niche area. So, if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably find, you know, how to something big that everybody needs. But, you know, I am proud that we have our small group here. And, you know, and it, while it only serves two to 3,000 people in the whole world, I think it does make an impact. I've heard it from numerous partners and stuff. And, you know, that's kind of like what I get up for every day. Speaking of, I grew up in an average middle class family in the 1980s, if you don't know, Lorenza. Much like today, the ongoing economic and social unrest at the time now was the same then. It was just different. I understood it differently. I wasn't as, I was nervous in a different way. I had parents and I had a future. You know, now things very scary for certain people and they're really relying on other people now. So, but it didn't, it, it taught me the importance of like adapting to an uncertain world. Some of the things I have to remind myself every day is that, you know, life really hasn't changed. I have. So, you know, I have to remember that. So I lived my whole life as a kid watching my parents sort of looking to survive and not get swept up under the, you know, the tide of the latest crisis. And now I'm doing that myself with my children, maybe actually overstep some of the conversations about certain topics out there with them. I'm sure they, I can tell by their, their reaction, sometimes they're not interested or they, they want me to shut up. But, you know, that's part of what it is. I remember my dad, he like saved half his pay stocking away money and stuff just for survival. I kind of do the same thing. I'm sort of frugal. I always will be, I guess. So it's always about building something for the future. You know, I think some of the stuff, some of the work I do offline is, is really like, I see it payback now, you know, in relationships and free advice from other people that I earned over the years by helping them and those things like that. So, you know, it's not all about money. It's about, you know, that whole, whatever that pay thing is, right? And then I think I mentioned this to you before, Miranda, having a plan is important but also being willing to change course is kind of really more important. And that stuck with me. I think someone told me that a few times and there's a couple of books I read about it. You're going to have to adapt pretty drastically to circumstances, right? And in the regulatory space, if you apply to life, it's you know, very similar. Things are going to come up, batch is going to fail. Questions that aren't, don't have answers, black and white are going to come up and you're going to have to kind of make decisions. So when COVID-19 crisis hit early this year, for example, most sponsors went to like the 90% telework plan almost overnight, right? On our travel actually essentially stopped. So while it sounds bad and, you know, on the surface, like I've been talking with folks about this year and, you know, feel very grateful and lucky that it was a really great year. It was easy for us to step into situations to assist, you know, as we already transformed into these, into this process years before by cost containment and efficiencies, right? While I always like prefer to hang across the table from somebody and share a brew or coffee or whatever, 
with technology, it kind of saved us, you know, for this crisis. If it was just back in the day, email and phone calls, the industry would have been way more disconnected. But introspectively, I think this is probably was, was required. So, and I think on our group, you know, intellectual horsepower and the ability to think strategically kind of ramped up. I, I know that's a lot of the reasons why we got more ingrained. We kind of shine when COVID hit, I, I would think, and no one predicted it. Now we're not only coming up with not just fixes, but, you know, real solutions. And we're plotting these courses together and haven't seen a lot of hiccups in the last, or haven't heard of a lot of hiccups besides the obvious ones, right? The ones that you can't control. But of course, our jobs, Miranda, is not just for business development and, you know, bringing contracts in it, but it's to influence folks, becoming influencers, like, you know, giving them an option to, to leverage something that they don't necessarily have. And, And on the other side, you know, operationally, Brian and Bob and a few of the folks, you know, are kind of collecting the, the right field, the people, you know, the field of, uh, or the department, you know, whatever you want to call it. So I think working together has been important and it will kind of continue to be important. You know, we have to be on the same page and I think we all have the same goals though. So I shifted my focus in the last couple of years to learning again. I did the first, you know, my first part of my career was, was learning and then it was kind of teaching or training. And I think that's the natural progression, you know, when you get older, you're expected to teach and train and be that person. But I found just personally, when I learn stuff at work, when I, you know, discover new things, it's more fun, it's more fulfilling. So success comes even faster. So just FYI, anyone listening to this here at DSI, if I can learn anything, I'm probably get easier to work with. And I'm, I think you'll get more out of me, <laughs> but I think it's for a lot of people. Learning is definitely fulfilling. And even today, I'm constantly scanning, you know, I'm naturally curious as you know, Miranda. So I have to credit some people. Paul Deutsch, my first boss at Lanza. I met him many, many years later over actually many times. He used to have black hair. I think Dan Torok took his desk when he left graduate school at University of Iowa. The guy was uh, maybe nine months, a year and a half of my life. Really put, well, there's a guy before that, David Brennan. I, I worked at DuPont Experimental Station. Sort of a temporary kind of a college, what do you call it, internship, Right. And I cannot even get into, David taught me about life more so, about how to deal with the system, the management and the administrators at a company, right? So he actually did give me some, I don't know if you remember, there was a software called Leisure Suit Larry. All these guys in the lab, they were all like lab guys. Pretty much that's what they were. They all played Leisure Suit Larry, but that's the difference. So Paul Deutsch was like the first real where I was responsible, Lonza. And then, you know, I worked there for a couple of years and then I moved up the ranks pretty quickly and moved into a different space, got a great ba- uh, foundation. And then I went to this, this company called Wyeth and there was a fellow named Jeff Lees, who very, very inf- influential. I don't know if I ever heard him say anything to me now that I'm looking back at it, but he would put me in a position to go to his, all of his meetings. He was like a higher up person and everybody in his group, he did that actually. The funny thing was now, and I could probably say this safely, I was one of two men in his group. There were 10 people and eight of them were female. And they they actually called them Jeff's Angels, like Charlie's Angels, who didn't get that reference. But the question that this, the fellow Mike Tagliaferri got before I did, he was my, my male counterpart. He was there about six months earlier. We both got it. it was like, how did you get a job in his group? He only hires females, young females, by the way. And I, I said, you know, we must be just, we're the only ones who qualified out of all the men. <laughs> There's not a lot of, not a lot of uh, good guys out there, obviously, right? And then through him, I, I got I expanded over to a, actually the CMC operations for the US and Europe, this guy, Mike Fenster, who's in the, 
in the UK right now. I'm not sure if he's still working in industry. Mike gave me some great opportunities uh, to travel to Europe and UK mainly and work with him on a number of compliance issues. And he also introduced me to 10 people. A lot of them, I don't remember their names right now. Brian Corrigan, as a follow, that was kind of like another understudy of Mike. And I, I have to connect back again with him, but just phenomenal uh, experiences. And then, of course, there was, and I may be leaving people out in the middle here, but these are some of the highlights, right? Lisa DeLuca, she was my boss at three different companies, you know, with breaks in between. So clearly she liked something about me that I did and how I operated it. And obviously I valued and treasured working for her. And who knows, maybe the future, uh, you know, maybe we work together again. Some of the people I did leave out, like the glue were, you know, guys like Dan Torak, who worked with me at Lonza. And uh, more training and experience in the lab. You know, I, I kind of watched him and some of the older fellas and just watch how they operate and how they dealt with management and, and production and emulated that. So obviously I can say this, everything I learned that is valuable, I learned from, from Dan. Everything that I learned that is dicey and on the edge, I learned from Dan. <laughs> so obviously I have a lot of respect for Dan and, you know, we have very similar personalities, but I'm sure... I'm sure I, I, I emulate, you know, I mimic some of how he operates just because it's, it make, makes me feel like that's a good thing, right? And then my buddy, Matt Kiernan, you know, Matt, he's at this company called Pharmaca, different industry, guy named Joe Barant. I'm sorry I didn't have more female mentors, but they're, I work in an industry where it's basically male uh, dominated. So I, but I would like to obviously get more females and, and minorities, obviously, into the you know, into a position where I, the opportunities where I had. So certainly with Miranda, like yourself here, don't be embarrassed. You're better than 97.5% of everyone I worked with. So that's pretty good. And the good news is you're climbing. So eventually you might become a hundred. I can't, you're too young now to do that. So, so, you know, these are mentors in essence, who over the years helped me embrace my change, right. And help me become who I am. So it's a big reason why I listen to technical podcasts all the time like artificial intelligence and new active substances. And I really want to be kind of learn more about gene cell therapy for the future of people, right? I mean, there's so much, so many opportunities to create better lives for folks, right? Kind of just like we've done for like 20 years here. And, you know, my podcasting days started well before this. I obviously listened to a lot of podcasts. I had a lot of downtime over the last couple of years. And then with COVID, a lot of time, you know, at home and stuff like that. So it was right fit. I was, I won't go through all the podcast inspirational people that did, but you know, a couple of them take a bow, right? You know, most of the folks, especially in the technical, functional and new technologies area, you know, talking about stuff that half the time is over my head. I don't really understand sometimes when they're talking about, but you know, as I grow more and I talk to other people, it starts to fit in and it's become part of the makeup. So one of the things I'd like to kind of talk about and share is like just some ways to live, you know, industry, if you're a regulatory person, the goal should be building knowledge and effectiveness. And what does that mean, right? The more you know, the more effective you can be, right? So just like I was mentioning about AI, you know, understanding that and, and also the new therapies is part of the, part of the job. Emerging biotech companies, as we know, have mounts, mountains of uh, data to process you know, some of them don't know what it is. I think that's where we at DSI, you know, someone like Coleman Byrne with analytical or Jim Mensa with process chemistry. It's natural, right? They come and they can figure stuff out based on some data. It's impressive, right? You know, years and years of experiences, right? That's kind of like the, the in inherent value of a consultant. You know, someone that it's like a switch you just turn on and it works like a, I don't know, blender or something like that, right? You just expect it to work a refrigerator, right? 
not saying that Jim's a refrigerator. He's very not refrigerator. He has, you know, in Dan Twerk and I, I, you know, just from the dealings with the, I'll just name a few more folks, Catherine Bernard, certain folks that have that appetite for building knowledge and, and becoming an effective person. So again, I'm very happy to have access to these folks and work with these folks daily. So listening to podcasts wasn't a waste of time, Miranda. In June, we rolled out our latest innovative offering for emerging companies here, CMC Live, which obviously is this podcast, right? My goal hopefully is to, to kind of grow it, make it more interactive, you know, maybe have a live audience with questions, maybe bring individuals in that can do a better job or, you know, maybe answer better questions, bigger questions. But I think we're getting there. Our SMEs and our project managers all have kind of, a lot of them have core have contributed to it. Now, next round this, maybe we, you know, kind of enhance that. Always going to be discussing regulatory industry trends and discussing hot topics. So, you know, I guess whoever does hear this and happens to listen to this actual one part, drop us a note, you know, drop Miranda a note, drop myself a note about some questions, join our podcast. Let's become friends. Let's, uh, if any of this inspiration is interesting for you, you know, hopefully that's why I'm doing it, right? Think of us as, or whatever this is here, as another resource to build up trust, to build up the knowledge and, you know, become effective. So I think one of the other things I can share going into 2021, and remember 2020 was a not a great year for a lot of things, right? But personally, I maybe looking back on it, I think I learned a lot about myself, whether I liked it or not, and whether I'm going to change and become better or not. I know what the game plan is, right? So one of the things I think I would have to say is, and the bullet point, you know, remember there's no more to life than work, which is sounds kind of weird, right? So I'm the boss here in theory, right? Maybe, but that's not their case when I return home or maybe when I'm at work, which is the other side of my house here, you know, like the other is the family, right? Then three kids, 13, 16 now and 17. I can't believe my oldest son's going to be 18, like in a month. So after a long day at work, I'm the last person on the totem pole at home, obviously, right? The reason why I am who I am is because of DSI, right? All that good stuff that I did also brought us all this other excitement and pressure and stuff, right? So, and of course, everyone else is trying to be the boss around me, including the dogs and the pets, of course, right? So I got to deal with that. Sometimes family talk gets intense, right? You learn a lot from how family views world events, like I mentioned, but that helps me crystallize my thinking. You know, some of the stuff I'm pulling back and forth between family and work stuff now is helpful. And also family time helps me see, see my problems and helps me see myself with much more perspective. Something that I wouldn't count on from work. But then again, you think about it. The real, I mean, the relationship with you is, you know, we're very open. You're a very good friend of mine, Miranda. So I think that's, you know, again, it's the, it's the trust factor and the communications factor. Yeah, and then you have to be professional too. So mix that in. But so connect with others by being yourself. That's my secret formula. Did you know that? Just be yourself, Miranda. That's all, right? When employees view me as just the boss, barriers to communications go up, right? So to, to truly build trust, this is why I like the uh, the coffee time and the water cooler. It's just in my nature. So to truly build trust, you know, I learned it's better to let colleagues get to know me as a person. I've always been real. Before COVID, I was real. And after COVID, I'm real. And for me to get them to know me and to get to know them, I try to understand them as who they are, not what they do. So while I have conversations with any, everyone here or our clients and customers, I really do try to understand who they are. I figured out more than 13 years ago, probably when my daughter was born, I was coming to work and my body language was all off. People started to get worried about me. Something really bad was happening. This was a a surprise in my life, let's say, Miranda. It wasn't supposed to be a third child. And I was acting strange because I was acting strange. I just remember 
sleeping a couple hours a night and just, I was younger too. And I was just burnt out. I was like, how, how did this happen? How am I <laughs> just telling people I simply did not get enough sleep, uh, put everything in context. And I got a lot of, you know, personal experiences through them and built some great friendships over time, including a lot of, you know, industry people that we know, which I think, you know, generating a different level of trust because people again, got to know me. And I think that helped, you know, getting the ball rolling with uh, DSI here. So again, back since the COVID-19 crisis, struck and you know obviously during the black lives matter protest right we we watch the news try not to i open it up to whatever people want to talk about except politics of course what worries them or concerns them and what needs to change so you know i don't get a lot of phone calls from our group but when i do you know i always get a really great conversation and hopefully i talked i talked to a good many of them not everyone but you know really kind of some of the value some of my my pay here is is just that right so Next thing, you know, opening doors with trust and integrity it goes against, you know, how I do my job, what, why I'm good at it. You know, being a successful business owner isn't just about strong earnings or closing another deal to partner. It's about, you know, being fair, honest, ethical, as, as I hopefully I am, right? Hopefully Tony and we all are, I think we are. It's easier to do business with people who trust you. And that, that goes off to our clients. We have countless feedback from them about some of these things. You know, I read some stories in the newspaper. I just got something, saw something today about a phenomenal basketball player that went to Pitt, you know, he's freshman this year and top recruit basically had the, the world going for him. And he got indefinitely suspended from the team this morning because he did something he shouldn't have. And it was just such a disappointment by me. You know, I'm like, you know, how does someone not know what they have, right? So it's one of those things I think in life, you know, trust and integrity, you have to be able to say you make decisions. Sometimes they're not forgivable. So how do you amp up self-improvement? This is something I, I read a lot of books on self-improvement, leadership. We're going to look up there. The essentials, let's see, emotional intelligence, change management strategy. I also have the art of war up there. Many, many finance books and a lot of stuff about chemistry and regulatory that I have really bad, boring titles. One of them is actually communications. That's a book I, interestingly enough, every time I open it, I get distracted. So that's a sign. But seeking feedback. Uh, but no, obviously, I learned a lot from you so far, Miranda. There's things that I don't know that I, I want to go find out because you're curious or I'm not familiar with them, right? So Finding the right colleagues and mentors or mentor who is willing to provide you with constructive feedback is, is essential in your career. You can read all the books up on my shelf up there. But again, I think I mentioned it earlier, you know, someone can't teach you, a book can't necessarily teach you. I think you have to learn it. And I think sometimes that's the interaction. So, you know, it's natural to have blind spots, but we rarely notice them until they're pointed out to us. And that's, that's some of the things I treasure in our conversations every day, you know. That's what makes them blind spots, right? So the ideal person for feedback has the ability to zero in, in your blind spots and provide an actionable path to improvement. So I didn't think of this until now, but we should think about doing a future podcast about like, you know, the ins and outs of regulatory CMC or the ins and outs of consulting, you know, just what makes a successful consultant, you know, just how you deal with things differently. Some folks could say it's the same as my regular day job, but it's not, you know, so you serve many masters, I think sometimes, and it's not for everybody, you know, it's a really intense and also rewarding job, you know, at least I found it that way. You know, you put a little more effort in, you see a little more progress and you feel a little bit better. So self-improvement areas, you know, those are things that I think that we 
as a society struggle with, sometimes not a topic that we want to talk about. As consultants, you know, we, we get a lot of feedback. So I think that kind of helps build us. If you're a director in a group at a company, surrounding yourself with people who push you is, is pretty important. We talked about the monkeys. If anybody has the time, Google how to get the monkey off your back or something like that. You know, it's a different topic. We here, I think, I think one of our main things, I talked to Bob about this, you know, we seek employees and consultants that are curious, enthusiastic, lifelong learners, right? Like I mentioned that like lifelong learning thing, guys like Jim Mensel and Catherine Bernard, again, like just every time I speak to them, they've had a different new experience. And I think that's phenomenal. I think that's, you know, continuing where I want to go as felt myself, just saying, you know, they may know more about a topic or skill than 99.9999999% of the population, but they also maintain the humility to understand that they don't know everything and they never will. Every year, you know, New Year's resolutions, I just thought about like, I guess for five or seven straight years now, I didn't actually have New Year's resolutions. Like I gave that back up when I was like late thirties, even if it was like, you know, I just want to get healthier or blah, blah, blah. But I did think about finding inspiring goals. And I think about that, not just on January 1st, but I, I think about that every day. You know, success is best thought of not as a point in time, but as a way of life. And we all know the saying, you know, how you think is everything. Always be positive. Think success, not failure. Beware of a negative environment. So those who view success as a way of life are constantly looking forward. Definitely very important, especially for fo folks who get stuck in setbacks, you know, lose a job, may have made a tough, bad decision, or if just, you know, generally things aren't working for them. There's always a new opportunity and a new challenge. I can pretty much assure you that. Sometimes they're not all fun, but they definitely are, you know, they're out there. So, so a key for individuals who sustain success over decades is they don't rest on their past successes, right? I never looked back and said, this is what I did and I'm done. You know, I'm always trying to figure out how to sustain success and find more success. And um, I think everyone, you know, always be open to updating your thinking as times and circumstances changes, change actually, as we had this year, you know, certainly we could all went in a foxhole in our basements and just said, hey, we're going to wait until everything, you know, virus is clear and, you know, everything is normal, but it, it will never be normal. Normal is, is now, and that's what we have to live with, right, and deal with. And tomorrow it'll change again, and next year it'll change again. And if you don't accept that, then certainly you're, you wouldn't be happy. Creating a personal case for change, that's what I, I sort of did talk to some of our folks, individuals, even our clients. Again, maintaining a high level of motivation requires knowing while you're pushing it, you know, to get better. I think we had a conversation this morning about this again. I think we had a conversation last week, one month ago, six months ago, blah, 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 right? I also used to get a little frustrated because I didn't have the answers for you. And I felt like I wasn't doing my job. And I, I just went out and searched and tried to fix or find a fix, but I couldn't do that. You know, I mean, I, I can only do what I can do. Sometimes other people are involved, right? And <laughs> they have to get involved. So I think the best thing I could do is just maintain my composure and, you know, again, going back to how you think is everything, always be positive, kind of inspiring other folks that you need to join the team, whether that's the FDA, like I said, trying to tie this back to CMC and what I used to do. It's about teamwork and getting there, you know, no, as long as you have efficacy, what's the word? I can't even remember. As long as you have that word, you know, and you are moving things forward for the betterment of society, you know, I think, you know, you can pretty much pull most people in to be on your team, even if they are the FDA, right? These days, I, and actually not so much, you know, I, I, my goal of wanting to write a blog and getting a podcast as an example is to kind of spread the message. So if I wrote a blog or recorded a podcast, then I, I would feel tremendous sense of accomplishment, which I did, you know, you know, maybe they weren't the best, maybe these aren't the best, but I certainly enjoy doing them, you know, and it also builds our brand awareness 
it's a tool for us to market our services. And I would love in 10, 15 years come back. This is why I need you to talk more on these things and ask questions. We can measure how much more successful and, and you know skilled you've become. Because I, I could see it in the last two years before a podcast. And I wish I could show you. It's kind of crazy and amazing. Yeah, that's a little bit difficult. We should have started recording all of our conversations to start. Right. So now if I don't try to write some weekly thing or, you know, record something or have a new conversation, you know, I feel a deep sense of guilt. I feel like I'm limiting our brand awareness and I, I continue to struggling, struggle with the marketing of our services. And I would love to be the person that has the be all end all answer solution for everyone on how to, how to market services, you know, that could help you. Hopefully maybe that's my goal in life. I'm going to be on a, some platform going, this is the guy who fit, invented it, like whatever that is. I just don't know what that is yet. And I think I, we talk about this. So Ed, are you ready for a hot question I just got into our email? Yes. Give me a question. We'll take a break here. Go for it. What are our experiences with microbiome-based products? Okay. They want to know before they get on a call with us. Well, you know, I think it's a great question. So what do you think? To be truthful. And our experience is probably pretty good to for the process. Microbiome probably to me means, you know, live bacteria in the gut, some gut chemistry, fascinating topic. Obviously, two things control the way we operate and who we are, our brains, there's a very complicated computer there, and our guts, you know, so there's certainly little creatures and animals all over our body that whether we believe it or not or know it or not, obviously make us who we are and make us act who we are, like we are. But I, I think, you know, just to be a serious answer to that question, I am not a microbiome expert. I don't think a lot of people are here either. I think what they are, though, are their scientists and they're, they're process-oriented, and they're project-management-oriented, they're analytical, and they're able to take a lot of what the drug development process is and apply it to a new medium, like a new continuum. And while they'll have to get some information and they'll have to have some inherent, some one person that might have to bring some of the glue, I think it's, it's one of the great, just common problems. I think 15 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe not everyone was an expert in the biologic space and monoclonal antibodies, but it's like brewing beer kind of, you know, there's a reactor and there's another reactor and there's a filter and there's blah, blah, blah. Very different from synthetic chemistry, but you know, the rules kind of were written over time. Nothing was written and put out there and that's the operations. Anything that we can contribute, I think is a valuable contribution, starting with an FDA discussion, you know, where would the issues lie, you know, controlling this, what is it? What type of product? How is it made? You know, where does it come from? Can it come consistently? Where do we make? How do we scale up and make a lot of it? Those are basic things. And I only scratch the surface. Our, our technical colleagues can ask, especially the biologics folks can ask a lot of just questions and probably reach over and, and borrow some guidance, you know, and really have a conversation with the agency to learn what they're looking for, but also to educate them that, you know, maybe some things are a little bit more under control. Now, this is my one chance. I'm going to just put it out there, right? There are people out there that just assume the only people that know everything are the people who have done everything. And the truth is no one's done everything. You know, like I said before, 99.9% expert. Jim Mensel, for example, right? I wouldn't say there's 0.1 if more in the world, but he doesn't know everything. There's still things that he's learning, right? He's human. So to answer your question, I think we can give it really the old college try. I know folks don't want to spend tons of money, hundreds and hundreds of hours just to learn on the job and churn. But any small group, I think, you know, that's again, why I like working here. Someone comes to us and challenges us to a little thing. If we want the work, we'll do the legwork. I think everyone would. And only because they want to learn a little bit more about something else to make them more valuable. 
So I'm going to switch over to developing powerful, positive retainers, which you certainly bring to the table, Miranda. Powerful, positive retainers, PPRs, right? You're responsible for them. Fast tracking self-improvement, you know, to, to start to routine. I got up today early, right? I enjoy the quiet time of the early morning and find it conductive to writing blogs, thinking about things. Other people start their day by meditating, right? Maybe I tried that actually. Still others exercise. I think I see Tony's calendar and I think he's exercising every day. But I think you brought me into a different routine. I think it's that, it's that discussion first thing in the morning, even if we don't have nothing to talk about, just to get the, get the things running, right? Now, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Just as important as establish an end of day routine to prepare for success the following day. And that's really what I like. I, I'm an end of day person. You know, let's, leave, let's figure out one more last thing and let's prepare for tomorrow, right? And also important is an evening routine, you know, includes reviewing personal objectives and goals. Sometimes you don't sit down with paper, sometimes through your head, somehow like subliminally scheduling priorities for the next day, you know, and then also what I learned finally after 30, 43 years, maybe like hearing to lights out time. I used to stay up till the wee hours and I used to get up pretty early still, but now I need my sleep. So these powerful, positive routiners, any recommendation for anybody in regulatory quality, you know, certainly you have to have some sort of consistency because it does affect your decisions and how you feel about things and those things like that, be if you have data or not. So as a start of the day routine, no one pattern is best for everyone. Everyone benefits from consistent patterns though. So I'll, I'll just say, you know, what takes discipline is to repeat a behavior regularly and often enough so it becomes a habit, right? I tell my kids, my son is starting to lift weights. If you could do it for five days, it's, it becomes a habit, right? Straight or anything you do. Is it five days? I'm pretty sure it takes a lot longer in my head. I think it's three, to really? be honest with you. I, for me, at least, yeah. Then why is it so difficult to break the bad habits longer? Yes, you can create some good habits three to five days. What about breaking those bad habits? Why does it take so long? That's none of my... um my curriculum today, but I'll, I'll make sure that's not in your, I'll make sure it's on the next podcast. I only have the positive topics here, which the next one is understanding the urgency of self-improvement, right? So the year 2020, the year 2020 took the next five to 10 years of inevitable change, right? Now we're on zoom. I'm talking. I see a picture of you there. 2020 packaged it up and forced the world to figure it out in like 10 months. Right. And we talked about this this morning as well. How do we network myself? You know, my what brings energy to me is like being an extrovert and having dialogue with folks, learning from them about what they're doing, what their needs are, what they like about me. Even I'm a words of affirmation guy too. I like to be affirmed sometimes. This is kind of like what would happen suddenly. And, and I guess it's, we're not going back. You know, we're going to eventually meet people in person some places, but just say, you know, I think a lot of the meetings and stuff and conferences kind of like we're dead. We just talked about this this morning, you know, like some of the stuff, it's just now it's finally recognizing it. Like, well, some of them weren't that productive. I, I talked to you about you know, networking 3.0, where we're not just a bunch of people heading to a conference, just exchanging business cards, trying to sell something, listening to elevator pitches and not really caring. You know, that, that doesn't really work. It hasn't for a long time. I guess the good thing about that is it has more meaningful meetings rather than just a meet and greet and take a meeting to fill a gap. So that's great. Yeah. So, you know, navigating a new, the, the virtual new, new normal, whatever it's called in the remote world, it's not that easy. Maintaining this peak performance, these, you know, metrics we have but we need to talk to a certain number of people about a certain number of things and stuff not easy for those of us who have embraced change we'll experience an accelerated leap i'm sure around the right ahead of the pack in the coming months and years and i'm pretty happy i'm pretty excited about that thanks for listening to read the full show notes for this episode which include a summary timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode 
please visit dsinformatics.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cmc live. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.